Well, you have three options as a football team. You can have uh, no talent and no chance. You can have a lot of talent, and uh, it's undisciplined. Or you can have a ton of talent, and you can be very disciplined. And we have all three here on the Spielman and Hooley podcast. We have the Bengals, we have the Browns, and we have the Buckeyes. And uh, we saw what can happen when you have those three scenarios over the weekend, Mr. Spielman. Uh, And well-coached, prepared teams also. Is part of that yeah. equation. That ladder, the ladder applies to that ladder scenario where Buckeyes are very well coached. <laughs> let me let me say this about Ohio State. So Dennis Dodd, you know our friend Dennis Dodd from CBS, CBS Sports, right? Yeah. Dennis called me on um, Thursday, I believe, right before I left, and Dennis said, uh, "Tell me about this Ohio State team." And I said, "Dennis, they have forty to fifty on the roster now, NFL campers," and he didn't believe me. <laughs> now, I'm not saying draft choices. No. I'm saying guys that are campers, right? And yep. we don't even know the names of future NFL campers. So I got a text on Saturday night. Dennis Dodd ran into Oakland Raider general manager Mike Mayock. Okay. And he put my theory to the test. And he asked Mike. And Mike's not only the general manager of Oakland Raiders, but Mike, of course, is was considered a draft analyst and expert for the NFL Network. Absolutely. He's been on their coverage forever. And very good at what he does. I think he is. And so Mike uh, absolutely confirmed what Ohio State has, at least 40 NFL campers. Again, not draft choices, but campers. And what I saw Saturday was this. I saw a team that never panicked. I saw a team that when it was time to take over physically, they took over physically. Mm -hmm. Uh, some of the errors I saw were drop passes. I saw Justin Fields. I wanted to see if the moment was going to be too big for him. It was not. Even Ryan Day, I wanted to see if the moment was going to be too big for him. It was not. And in fact, they exceeded my expectations. And the offensive line was tremendous. The way they get to the second level, knock linebackers off and come off of double teams. And the way they can attack you. Is just it's fun to watch, and they are going to be the most difficult out in college football. I do think they're the best team in college football. I'm not saying they're going to win the championship, but when we're looking at who's the best team in college football, it's certainly Ohio State. Yeah, right now they play with a focus and a hunger that I don't see out of any other team in the country. You know, Clemson, I think, has – I still think Clemson, to me, you think Alabama is the toughest out for them. Clemson's not playing – with focus and hunger right now, and that's just typical human nature. You've yeah. done it before, and it's hard to muster the effort, the attention to detail to do it again. But Ohio State frustrated in getting into the playoffs the last couple of years because they've not had that focus and attention to detail, manifesting itself in losses to Purdue and Iowa. And I think with fresh leadership, uh, change can be good at times. The players have warmed to that. Ryan has uh, certainly uh, put his spin on this team. And, man, 38-7 to over Wisconsin, over the nation's, quote-unquote, number one defense. J.K. Dobbins, best back in the game, 163 yards rushing. Jonathan Taylor, we set the over-under at 72 yards, and he was well under it at 52. Amazing team defense. That's the difference, again, I wanted to get into this a little bit. The difference between last year and this year is team defense. And small example is that there's certain, like, linebackers will be in a certain hole quickly, and it's bouncing the ball to the on-block player. And the difference between this year and last year, the on-block player is playing zone so he can react to run better. And they're not missing tackles in space like they missed tackles in space last year. They rally to the football. Now, 
The guy that was obviously outstanding, just an amazing performance was Chase Young. Chase Young. Four right. sacks, record tying, school record tying, four sacks, two cause fumbles. I think Chase Young, uh, I don't know if he should win the Heisman, but I think he should be considered for the Heisman, the way he's playing, the year that he's having. Does he have 14 or 13 and a half sacks? 13 and a half right now. 13 and a half sacks on a year. I don't know how many tackles for loss, but just uh, it, it's fun to watch a guy that has, it could be the most talented guy on the field but play with such passion and, and great effort. And definitely uh, from everything that I understand about Chase Young, and I've talked to a lot of people, he's just a great kid and a team guy and all that good stuff. Now, people ask me this week because I had Joey Bosa. You did? No, you and, ha- yeah, you had Joey Bosa, Chargers, Bears. Bears, and I then I watched Nick Bosa on the way home. Panthers, yeah. Who had a rough day? He had an off day. He only had three sacks in the first half, then he had an interception in the second yeah, half. Yeah, come on. I mean, just an interception in the Joey, second half. Come on, Nick. Joey Bosa dominated that football game. Two sacks for, for the Joey. San Diego Chargers. Yep. And, okay, two sacks, four tackles for loss. Mm-hmm. And he took the offensive lineman. Do you remember when he tackled the guy? Was it the Big Ten Championship game where he pushed the guy into no, the No, no, that was uh, Penn State where Penn he pushed State, the offensive yeah. tackle into uh, well, Christian Hackenberg. I got news for all you Bosa fans out there, and I'm the biggest one of both of them. And I'll tell you a line that I said on the broadcast yesterday. But Bosa took Charles Leno, the offensive tackle for the Chicago Bears, pushed him to, into Mitchell Trubisky, knocked Trubisky off balance, Trubisky's trying to regain his balance and fumbles the football. The Chargers get the turnover. They don't take advantage of it, but they got the turnover. They won the game anyway. Joey Bosa was the most dominant football player on that field by far yesterday. Uh, Nick Bosa Mm -hmm. was also the most dominant football player. Not only is that my opinion, Richard Sherman was asked after the game, should Nick Bosa be rookie of the year? And and Richard said, no, he's more than just rookie of the year. That good. Now, they asked me this, which Bosa do you like better? I said, whichever one I see play last. <laughs> that That's the one I like better because they're the exact same guy. As good as Chase Young is, uh-huh. and I'm not taking anything away from the talent of Chase Young. I'm not taking anything away from the great year that he's having. And only time will answer this question. But I'm going to tell you, I don't know he, if he is going to be the NFL player's that Nick and uh, Joey are right now. Because I've never seen two guys dominate a game like those two dominated yesterday. I mean, an NFL game. Yeah. Both of them. Yeah. And and Chase, maybe he will. But right now, I just think he's still, and this isn't taking away the greatness of Chase Young. I, I want you to understand that. But it's more a statement on how good both Bosa boys are. My opinion. Uh, every Heisman Trophy candidate uh, needs a signature highlight to win the award. A uh, what do you do? You agree with me on that, or you're just like nodding your head? And I uh, want to get into that, but okay. first I want to get into the signature play of Chase Young on Saturday. Here's Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt on the call. First down, call sacked again. Loose. Warner picks it up. Warner breaks it back. He's got blockers. Warner down at the 45, Chase Young. Havoc, a career high, four sacks for the best player in America, period. Unbelievable. They continue to single him up, and he just races by the right tackle. 
knocks the ball out of Cone's hand, and then it's Warner racing down the sideline. Cone's got no shot, absolutely no shot. It looked like he was even just trying to throw that at his back to try to burn it because Young's right in his face. Chase Young is the most dominant player in the country. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Uh, that is your flashes of fun, picture-perfect play of the day. Chase Young, one of his uh, four sacks on Saturday, flashes of fun, taking care of your photography needs. Uh, guys, here's an idea for you. Every, every guy I know, and today's my wife's birthday, so believe me, I know exactly what you're thinking. What do I get my wife today? Happy 35th, Sherry. What do I get my girlfriend today? Uh, how about a photo? How about a photo, a photo session? You, your family, you and your kids. How about uh, if she has a uh, pet she loves, a cat, a dog, whatever, a horse? Uh, uh, Flashes of Fun even took pictures lately, uh, senior pictures. With we have a all girl, those, by the way. A girl and her chicken. Yeah, we have that too. <laughs> but that wasn't our uh, daughter. So Flashes of Fun can uh, take care of that. Uh, on the web, flashesofun.com, and it'll give you $50 off. And listen. I know all you guys, when you hear what senior pictures cost, you go, what? This is ridiculous. And I agree. And that's why you should go with Flashes of Fun. They'll save you hundreds, if not thousands, on senior pictures. All right. I had this text message exchange with an NFL scout last night about Chase Young and the Bosa Brothers. Okay. You did? Yeah, wow. I did. Now, don't. You probably know who the scout was. I do. So don't say his name. I'm not going to say his, his name. He said he likes Young better. He's drunk. <laughs> But I asked him if he could translate into immediate impact like that, and um, wasn't sure about that. But, you know, the Bosa guys have the benefit of their father was a first-round NFL draft pick. John they were Bosa. raised to be defensive linemen. So they had all that technique, all that coaching, and their uncle was Eric Coomer, Eric, your yeah. former teammate, yep. who's also a first-round pick. Great pass rusher himself. So, uh, as Richard Sherman referred to, their bloodlines are something else. But I said to the scout, our mutual friend, well, we'll have to get Rick Spielman's opinion on that. Would Rick give you an honest opinion that you could share uh, sometime down the road Not on now. pass rushers? Maybe, no, maybe. because obviously the draft yeah. must keep his Can't, information proprietary. Right. Uh, I, I, I mean, uh, it's obvious, right? Every guy's going to love Chase Young. And yeah. here, here's my point that I want to make. Um, I'm not saying that Chase Young can't be what what uh, Joey and Nick are he, he, the thing that Joey and Nick are to me is that they play with a style that no and this is not just my opinion this is other coach NFL coaches opinions that have them as opponents mm -hmm. and other players opinions that I've talked to that have these guys as opponents they play with such a forward lean. I've talked about this before back when we did regular Flat radio. Back, yeah. Yeah, the way they've turned a corner, there's nobody that turns a corner like them. They're two different types of players. Chase Young and the Bosa. Players. Yeah, they're two yeah. different types of players. Now, they play the same position, and the results can be the same. And the style, I guess it goes back to style and what you prefer. The style that I like. What kind or, of player? You say they're two different types. What types? Well, Chase is about speed, right? He's speed and, and quickness, and, and he has a, a great arm over move. He gets off the football. He's got good bend. He's got everything you want. And certainly all the accolades that he's getting, I'm leading the charge on that. But there's no defensive lineman that I've watched, including Khalil Mack from the defensive end position, that, that has better use of their hands and feet in combination than the Bosa boys. They're virtually unblockable one-on-one. -on -one. 
by offensive tackles. You've in this talked league. about their hands too. They're, 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 so they're skilled they're, with their hands. That what they do is they counter quicker than anybody. So what I mean by counter, just think of it like as a counter punch. If if you throw a jab and you follow it up with an overhand right, or you throw, follow it up with a with a body shot or a right hook or whatever the case may be. These guys will come in, first of all, their hands are so fast, they're on the offensive lineman before the offensive lineman's hands on theirs. They're so good at knocking down, now picture this, an offensive tackle going out to block, the outside arm of the offensive tackle, both of them are so good at getting that arm knocked down or off of them, and what that creates is such a short corner because there's no length that's being able to be created, so it's a shorter corner. And both of them turn the corner faster than anybody that I've ever seen play in the NFL. Faster than and and I'm not over exaggerating this because I'm telling you when you talk to coaches, they say they haven't seen anything like that. And and, and I don't, but I don't want this to think that I don't think Chase Young could be a great NFL player or a Heisman Trophy player. I, I agree with Gus. I think he is absolutely the best player in college football. Period, as Gus would say. But I'm just saying that the Bosa boys are at another level that not only Chase Young's not, but nobody in the NFL on the defensive line is at these two guys' level right now. Well, at uh, at, at that position, now yeah. I, I don't want to take anything away from uh, Aaron Donald, right? But that's a different position. We'll get into more of that on Wednesday and whether we think he can win the Heisman and you know how you yeah. differentiate between Dobbins, Fields, uh, Chase Young, Tua, all those candidates. Uh, but let's talk about Ohio State at large, 38-7. Uh, to 7, They continue to win in dominant fashion. Nobody's come with closer than 24 points of them. Uh, Ryan Day uh, talking after the game, and then Clay Hall will follow up here about uh, how he gets his team to handle prosperity when they continue destroying team after team after team every week. Well, I think it just you challenge them by saying, how tough are you? Because uh, you know, I think these guys are competitive, it's good. and they like challenges. Um, and if, if you are as tough as you, you think you are, you say you are, or we're as good as we think we are, then, then we don't get distracted by anybody and we just get locked in one game at a time. One game at a time, one week at a time. And if we let all the other you know, noise get into our head, then, then we put that at risk and we can't do that. Noise like who's your Heisman candidate? Yeah, all those things, all those things. You start looking you know, ahead into you know, rankings and you know, where are we going to be and all that. If you start looking at all that, you're going to get yourself in trouble. And, and we have not done that this year and uh, we cannot do that moving forward. They remain number three. Uh, LSU hops over Alabama to number one. LSU and Alabama will play in two weeks. Good team, too, by the way. Clemson is off. Bama is off. Ohio State is off. And the college football playoff, football, the official college football playoff rankings come out next week, first time. Where would you expect Ohio State to be in those? I would say one or two, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't – I think they might debut three, but they've been more impressive than Alabama <clears throat> just because of um, their margin of victory and you know the fact that their quarterback's not hurt. Alabama's is, and you know LSU's got victories over Texas and Auburn. That's why I say I think LSU has a chance to be LSU probably be number one number because one. they want to reward the team that has the perceived tougher schedule. Yeah, so I and, think LSU will be number one, and they have a quarterback and. Again, all things run through Ohio. Yeah, what a shocker sure there. Like sure seems like it. <laughs> With Joe Burrow, who's who's probably the leading contender for the Heisman Trophy, if we're talking about here, here, We made this statement last week, and I hated making it, but, you know, it's just when I make these statements, a lot of it is thought about, but a lot of it is instinctive, and it just comes out. Mm-hmm. 
it's just what I see or what I feel. And I do believe that one thing I have is a feel for a football team. You'll be surprised about my feel of the Browns, but I have a feel for a football team. And I said last week, do you remember this when I said, I don't think this team is in danger of having an Iowa or Purdue yes. disaster. Yes. Because the focus of this team is there's just something different about them. And it's something that is very uh, uncommon. You don't see a whole team locked in like this team. And 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 there's there's they're having fun, but there's such a seriousness about this team. There's such a mission or passion that this team is on. And yes, you credit Brian Day, and you credit uh, Jeff Halfley and Greg Madison and Al Washington, who's basically the whole new defensive staff yep. and the new scheme. They deserve that credit. Uh, Justin Fields is much better than I thought he would be. I didn't think he was going to be bad, but I didn't think he was this. No, he right? was he was very efficient on Saturday. No turnovers in the rain again. No turnovers, and with this defense, <laughs> this defense is sick. If you don't turn it over on your half of the fifty, you're going to be really hard to beat. If you're not giving the other yeah. team short field, I thought Saturday Wisconsin in the second half when it was tight at halftime. I thought, well, Wisconsin needs two short field turnovers. They need something. Game. Yeah, they can't throw the ball downfield consistently. 108 yards passing the ball. That's... Jonathan Taylor. I just. Do they want another shot? I, don't know. I, mean, I, I saw I your sort tweet. Of facetiously what was your tweet? said yeah. at the after the end of the game. I said, "Is it is it an option for the Big Ten West champion at the end of the regular season to say, no, no, we're good. We don't need to go to Indy. We don't need to play Ohio State. We got the West title. Let us hang that banner and just concentrate yeah. on our bowl game." Well, you got row your boat that's competing in the West that's undefeated. Yeah. So you, you don't want to play the Gophers. So you talk about the lack. You're of not. A, you're ignoring that. No, I'm getting to that. <laughs> okay, that's what I'm getting to. <laughs> He's campaigning for game day, and he should get he game should. day. He should get game it's day. It's his job. If it's, if it's Minnesota and Penn State and they're both undefeated, it. like, why not? But here's why there's no potential for Iowa or Purdue this year on the schedule, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Number one, once you have an Iowa and then a Purdue, you're really determined not to have another yeah. one. The other part of it is— And most of those kids experienced that, correct? The, yeah, the schedule did not fall this year where they had a game at an opponent on the road that was good enough to pull that off if Ohio State's focus waned. The team that could the team that would have fit the profile of an Iowa or a Purdue is Minnesota. Yes. A team better than you thought. Yes, that's great. If you, that's a good if observation. If you catch them Right after you play somebody that took a little out of you, like let's say Minnesota, instead of being undefeated, Minnesota was like, you know, six and two, and you were going up there after you played Wisconsin or after you played Michigan State, and you were like, whoo, we got through that one. Okay, good. And you hadn't had those faux pas the previous two years, maybe, but they got. Indiana on the road and Nebraska on the road and they got a Rutgers coming up on the road and then of course you're never going to be not ready for Michigan right and that's at the end of the year so there was no opponent that fit the profile you were really ticked off about it happening to you twice and I think the fresh leadership of Ryan Day I think just a different way of doing everything a different way of approaching everything helps Ohio State too. They're hungry. They're very hungry. They're very driven. They're very talented. They're very deep. They're very fast. They're very everything they're, I can the, think of. I also think the word that we, as you were going through that, I'm trying to think of a word to describe this team in mature. I get the it's a mature team. Right? 
mature in their in their mindset and, and how they play approach. too. Yes. Though they, I mean, they they yes. play fast and they play smart. And let me just say too, Ryan Day is mature. Like he talked about early in the season, that, what's your favorite play Justin Fields made? My favorite play is the throwaway because he didn't put us in jeopardy. And everybody's like, ah ha ha, the favorite. Play. Ryan Day Saturday said, you know, the first series we got third and long. I ran the ball and I punted. That's hard for me as a coach because <laughs> yeah, I, I want to attack. But you know. That's a mature decision by a guy who's caught up in the emotion of a day where he really wants to land that first knockout blow. But you know what? We're third and eight. I'm going to hand it off. We're going to punt. I'm going to believe in my defense. So as much as he wanted to, like, land a blow and get a big play touchdown, he's like, this is not the time. That's a maturity in his approach to coaching a team in a big game. And the other, you know, it's it's easier to make that decision when you got a defense as dominant as Ohio State's too. And put them in position. But it's not easy to, to do. To put you in position. I'll harken back to something Urban did that will always be a head-scratcher for me. Remember the deep shot he took against Alabama in the college football playoff semifinal after Zeke had run it in and Ohio State had the game and got yeah. the ball back? And you're like, what is he doing? Like, he threw a deep shot, and it was almost picked to give Bama the time to, like, go down yeah. and score another touchdown. Like, it's not easy sometimes as a coach to fight your tendencies to want to do something. And Ryan Day fought that tendency Saturday. I just I like how he coaches. I like how his team plays. And they're gonna be they're not gonna be challenged. I'll say it for the umpteenth time. They are not going to be challenged until January. You don't think Penn State will give them anything? No. No, I don't. I watched Penn State Saturday take care of Michigan State, but uh, Michigan State. What's going on up there? Well, they lost like three in a row by Three touchdowns or four touchdowns? I just they, they look to me like Indiana basketball used to look under Bob Knight at the end of his career, just, where they're just exhausted with that staff. With some, they just need a bad fresh wind offense? to blow. Oh my goodness! Huh? It's that, dreadful, I mean, it's really bad. But the D'Antonio just looks, and he always has looked this way, miserable on the sidelines. Yeah. So maybe I'm reading more into it than there is. But boy, do they need a fresh start! Yeah, I'll tell you the team, I, and I, I'm going to credit the uh, Spielman and Hooley podcast, We Tackle Life, that's starting to play and looked more like Michigan, which I thought I would see earlier in the year is Michigan. 303 rushing. 303 but, rushing. But the offensive line was dominant for the Wolverines against Notre Dame, and Notre Dame could do nothing to stop them, even though that they knew what they were going to do, and there was nothing they could do to stop them. So. That's exciting, at least. I have an Ohio State-Michigan game to look forward to. I need to pump the brakes on that until I see them them do it more than once. Because that could be, you know, Herbie was like, what an embarrassing effort by Notre Dame. They didn't bring any emotion, and they didn't. Uh, So I want to see if Michigan can follow that up. And all right, if they win dominantly at Maryland, if they win dominantly, you know, at home against Michigan State, a team that we just said is clearly in disarray, if they win dominantly at Indiana, then we'll talk about how that last game of the regular season could get. I'm, uh, if I'm a Michigan fan, I'm concerned about that Indiana game, by the way. I'd be concerned about it, too. That's just a game that looks bad for right, them. Right just, before Ohio State, focus <laughs> yeah. waning. Maybe they're starting to believe, hey, we played two or three and, in a row pretty good. Yeah. In Indiana has a false belief that they're a good football team. So Yes. <laughs> they're bowl eligible, my friend. Six <laughs> go, and two. If you would uh, like to be eligible to have the best cookout ever, then you need to get to Stover Farms Custom Meats. Stover Farms Custom Meats, retail location in the Columbus area at 4000 Presidential Parkway. You say Stover, Stover, Stover. Don't I know that name? Yes, you do. That's Mr. Football, Cade Stover of Lexington High School. His family runs uh, a really uh, 
big uh, cattle farm, Angus Beef Farm, up in the Mansfield area. And uh, Trevor, his father, who played for Bowling Green on the team that Gary Blackney brought down here uh, early in Coop's tenure. Uh, Trevor uh, processes a side of Angus beef, grass-fed, no hormone, non-GMO every week, brings it down here, sells it to you direct so you know what's in your beef, what's in your uh, pork and your poultry. Uh, All great stuff. Their sausage patties are phenomenal. So if you're planning a tailgate party, planning a cookout, planning a big dinner for a client or whatever, make sure you get it from Stover Farms Custom Meats. And make sure you mention Spielman Hooley Podcast. You get 15% off. And obviously, if you have a young football player in your house, you need to feed them Stover Meats because it'll get – does he guarantee you Division I scholarships if you give your kids Stover Meats? I don't know. Uh, As much as Harbaugh likes steak and milk, (laughs) Harbaugh's – Offensive but line, still in your spine, would need uh, Stover Farms custom meat. So I don't know. Trev might not sell. To hey, I'm I'm just saying that that was the Michigan team I was looking for all year. So Stover Farms custom meats is on four thousand. Pre- is it four thousand Presidential Parkway? It's right off Sawmill, so you can't miss it uh, up north. All right, um, shall we get to the Browns? You said you had a take on the Browns. 27-14 yeah. against the New England Patriots in the rain. Uh, Bill Belichick, 300th career win, and a little bit more uh, expansive in his postgame comments about his 300th win than I would have expected him to be. Um, now it's a great um, privilege to, to coach this team and to coach the guys that I've coached throughout my career. Um, Fortunately, I didn't play in any of those games. That's a good thing for us. Uh, but I've had a lot of good players, a lot of great players. And, you know, they're the ones that win the games. And uh, I've had a lot of great assistant coaches um, on my staff through, um, you know, wins at Cleveland and, and certainly here. So, um, you know, I was a part of those. But, you know, honestly, the players players win games in this league. And you know, I've been fortunate. I've coached a lot of great ones. What a blowhard braggart. I'm just kidding. Is he cracking obviously. a joke there when he said, I didn't play in any of those games? No. I was waiting for everybody to like laugh. No, I. I Nobody's going to laugh. Bill Belichick. When he's, I mean, clearly, right? The NFL, he's unmatched, yep. in, in my opinion. And what he's been able to do and continually do on a consistent basis is the gold standard. Uh, actually, I thought he was very sincere there. I, I, agree I think with you. he's I think he really humbled well. uh, what he's been able to do, and he understands that it's a player's game. And his job is to put the players in position to win those games. He's been fortunate because he's had the most productive quarterback in the history of the NFL Mm -hmm. be his quarterback for such a long period of time. And he's just, it's a once in a generation guy that we see. Okay, so you said it's a coach's job to put his players in the best position to win the game, and right. there's a lot of chatter about Freddie Kitchens now because the Browns had 13 penalties yesterday, Mr. Spielman, going a half a penalty over their per-game average, which yep. is the worst in the NFL, 85 yards, including six, six false start penalties. So there's a lot of talk about undisciplined mm-hmm. and it's Kitchens' fault and la, 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 la. So uh, here is Baker Mayfield on why the penalties? It's non-discipline. Guys not being focused on doing their job. Uh, it starts first and foremost with me uh, to be a leader every single down. Um, get our guys lined up, make sure that we're set, we're paying attention. Because if we can't use cadence, um, then, you know, we're hurting ourselves. Uh, you know, anytime we try and use a double count, it seems like we're false starting a little bit. But uh, we'll, we'll get the discipline part fixed uh, the accountability like I said we've pointed out the problem now we have to execute it on Sundays uh, once again I feel like we had a great week of practice so we just didn't translate it tough first quarter three turnovers on That's three consecutive sweet. plays Nick Chubb with a fumble scoop and score for Dante Hightower Nick Chubb with a long run spiked out of his hands at the end Baker Mayfield with the rare intercepted 
shovel pass. pass. Shovel pass, yes. <laughs> shovel pass intercepted by the defensive lineman who beat Joel Batonio like a rented mule. I still think they're they got a chance to get on a little bit of a run here. Well, they should. I, I do think well the schedule lightens up for them. Yeah, but the whole schedule lightens up thing is to me the essence of why they're two and five. Because guess who else is two and five? Denver, and they're going to Denver. So why would the they schedule. just automatically assume, oh, we're going to Denver, so uh, that's a layup. And then we have the Bills at home who have a better record than they do. And then we have the Steelers, and the Steelers have a better record than you do. So, so it's like, why would you assume the schedule lightens up? You're still believing in your no, hype. I guess the other stuff is that the Steelers, the Bills, and the Broncos say that, oh, we got the Browns got coming the Browns, in. Browns, that's what they're The schedule saying, lightens yeah. up. It's our chance to get on a roll here and – Steelers got a little chance right now. They got the Dolphins, right? Yeah. So tonight, uh, I just think they 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 are capable, right? There's just some growing yes. pains, and and the the one thing I don't understand is, is taking the penalty and going. Yes, let me get. Let me. I know where you're going. <laughs> I just it's get, fourth and eleven, right? And Freddie Kitchen said he wanted to go for it. Okay. But they had like half their guys running on and half their guys running off, and they were well, disorganized. Just, mm. So he ran the punt team onto the field, took an intentional illegal procedure penalty to make it fourth and 16, then sent his offense back on the field to go for it because he said, I wasn't in give-up mode. I didn't want to give up. So he ran the punt team. What yard there. line were they on? Oh, they were on like their own 25 or 30. It was <laughs> in the fourth quarter. You know, it was six minutes to go, I think. Well. The, the first mistake is, in your mind, if you know you're going to go for it on fourth down, you have a, a, a play call sheet that you look at and say, okay, on fourth down. Don't you know on first and second down, we're, we're in four down territory yeah. here. we got we're, enough time to score the, twice to tie the game or three times. When so the we're start going. of the series, you know, the, yeah. the, we're, we're going for it. So why are you running a punt team out there? Then to not take the timeout, which was ridiculous – because you're putting yourself in fourth and sixteen. Wanted to save a timeout. Going to need I, that I mean, timeout. I know later. there's an analytics out there because I get these sheets every week, and the percentages of making it on fourth and sixteen from fourth and ten are, are so much more difficult. They were out of t uh, running out of timeouts, running out of timeouts <laughs> because they challenged. Let me think. In the second half, they challenged an offensive pass interference Can't do it. call. On Richard Higgins, they wanted to get that bad boy overturned and set the NFL precedent of being the first team. And I don't know how it ain't long happening, to folks. Get an OPI overturned, unless it's as egregious as it was in the Saints Rams playoff game. It's not overturned. They're the not overturning half, it. They had challenged a spot on a third down pass to Mohamed Sanu, where I could see where if it was in between the the yard lines yeah. at five yard increments, where it's like ah, I don't know if he was over that mark or not. Yeah. No, no, this was right on like a five yard mark, like a big double stripe one too. Like it was like the thirty five or the yeah. twenty. Sanu caught the ball, turned, clearly had to Who's first. Who's the down. challenge coach up there? I have no idea. I assume it's Freddie. He's got to so have he somebody tosses in the, booth. the red flag on that one. And both of them, Romo goes, I don't think I'd be challenging this yeah. one, and they did, and they. Shockingly, lost both. I mean, you those gotta, are the things that get the criticism of Freddie amped up. What about? I mean, is, do, are you getting the feeling that? Because you're, I'm not invested in the Browns. No, 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 like you're, you're not. You're not. Are you're you not. getting a feeling that it's like, it's just never going to happen? Well, listen, for me. I'm. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, going to happen I'm in my torn lifetime. Because you know, first of all, 
the ownership thing, and I don't know what goes into good ownership. You know, get out of the way. Well, he, they got out of the way on the hiring of Freddie Kitchens. They turned it over to the football guy, John Dorsey. You know I'd much rather have Rick there than John Dorsey. But John Dorsey's made some good decisions. But John Dorsey's made some bad decisions. Austin Corbett, and it looks like Freddie Kitchens is a bad decision. You're seven games in, so jettisoning Freddie Kitchens seems like a panic move. But if you know, you know. If you keep seeing all these same things and he seems overwhelmed, like what is the point in, like, waiting? Yeah. And do you, who do you have on the staff to elevate? Or if you don't elevate somebody, I mean, you're just gonna do you bring in a fired. Mike McCarthy uh, right they now? They should have hired Mike McCarthy from should've the get-go. Mike McCarthy from I don't the understand that. I do think it has to be reevaluated. <clears throat> yeah, and, 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 and here's, the other, here's the other issue. You never hire, here's my issue, my rule, you never hire the player, player's favorite guy. Right. You never right. hire the player's favorite guy. And so I was having this conversation with somebody last night. I said, so... If we agree Dorsey botched this search, then who do you let run the next search? Because you don't want Haslam to run the next search because Haslam's botched like three or four up to now. So NFL teams don't hire search firms to go out and hire coaches. Uh, Do they identify people like here's your candidate, but then you got to trust the people in your front office to hire them, and you should because if they can't work with you, you don't want to hire them. They do hire professionals to to help them identify them, yeah, but then, then, I mean, then you got to hire them. Yeah. You got to sit down with them and find out, like, yeah, this guy I can work with, or this this guy, no, I can't work with this guy. You might want to get like like a search firm and get like five guys, yeah. and you make it so they do all the legwork and stuff. But I, I think Mike McCarthy was the perfect fit. I I I. I that's the one question I I like John. I think he's he has made some good decisions. I think he was. Negligent on the offensive line, which Big is, time. Big you know, time. it's just not happening for them. But again, uh, I, I don't think it's time to panic or quit and see how they finish. And like everybody in every NFL team, at the end of the year, you sit down, you do a total evaluation, and you make decisions. Okay, or do we stay the course? Are we heading in the right direction? If we're not, what are we going to do to fix it? And, you know, I. I do think that he jumped the gun and got charmed by Freddie. I'm not saying Freddie can't be a good coach one day. Well, in Dorsey's defense, if... the offense looked great last year with, with Kitchens it, running. It did. It looked great. It did. It did. But uh, it's maybe he's one of those guys that is like a North Turner that is a great coordinator or has the reputation of being a great coordinator, play caller, gets along with the players. But he's not a head coach guy. It might be. I'm mean, here's Freddie Kitchens defending himself. Uh, it sounds a lot like he's talking about the Cleveland version of Murphy's Law. Uh, everything we said that we couldn't do and win the game, we did. So, and it all happened in the first quarter. I was proud of the way they kept fighting. Uh, somewhat got back into the game uh, there at the end, and it just couldn't get back uh, fully into it. Uh, can't turn the ball over and can't commit penalties. That's where the game comes in. We ran the ball well. We did exactly what we wanted to do in the run game. Well. That was the game plan. Uh, we did it. Uh, we held them, stopped them from running. I thought our defense played well enough to win. Uh, offensively, we can't turn the ball over. Uh, and that was the game. I agree. I feel bad for him in the sense that he's not the one jumping off sides. He's not the one turning it over. But there's mm-hmm. enough of the other stuff that you know is not solid decision-making and there's enough responsibility there that bleeds over to him for the undisciplined nature of the team. Yeah, and, that's the that's yeah. he's responsible yeah. for that though, right? <clears throat> yeah. And his yeah. 
you know, you don't get the message across. How many times were the or the Patriots penalized for uh, four self-induced four uh, four for no, thirty-two? I'm not talking for that like, stuff. Yeah, you know, like physical. For no, you don't jump. The they had one guy control. jumped off sides, a defensive end. They yeah. had one guy jump off sides, and and Romo said, "You do that again, he's out." <laughs> I mean, yeah, they've cut guys who fumbled before. After yeah. like a guy had like a hundred and some yard night on Monday Night Football, he fumbled the next game, gone. Yeah. <laughs> So the and again, there's a limit to that. I mean, he's not going to. Well, they don't yeah. cut Brady if he fumbles. No, but, you know, yeah. it's just it's who it depends on who you are. Yeah, but I mean, you send a message. I said with Antonio Callaway a couple weeks ago. I said I cut him. I cut him. He, he, he comes back and and you you've told him before last chance. Oh no, we'll give you another chance. Four games for substance abuse or PDs or whatever it was. Then he comes back first game, drops a pass, and hands it to the other team. I said I'd cut him to send a message to everybody on the team. We're not putting up with this garbage. Yeah. Oh, he's too talented to cut, Bruce. Really? What are they this season? Two and five? How much difference is he making? He's not, well, he's not one of your two best wide receivers, and you can usually find a number three. He's not one of their three best. Rashard Higgins their third best wide receiver. Then cut him. There you go. Cut him. There you go. How about the Bengals, Bruce? Uh, a Cooper Cup is good. This is news <laughs> to Zach Taylor who apparently uh, didn't see Cooper Cup last year with the Rams. Seven catches, 220. But the Bengals did get the rushing game going, 22 for 104. So maybe there's hope as they uh, enter there's their no off week hope. with the Ravens. In their, Are you kidding in their me? Future. Are no, you just I'm, saying I'm that? Trying, I'm, yes, I'm just saying. Would you rather be a Browns fan or a Bengals fan right now? I, I would rather be an Ohio State fan. <laughs> <laughs> there's, that's easier, isn't re, it? There's reward that's, in that. That's much easier. Much, much easier. All right, uh, we always end the podcast with a faith element. We want to thank our friends at West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating for sponsoring the faith element of the podcast, and for all of you for responding uh, so positively on the faith uh, aspect of the podcast. Here's our review of the day. It comes from Ted. He says, this is one of the best podcasts I've ever heard. The football talk and the life information from the Bible study is making me review my life as well. Thanks to both of you from a former Tiger, now a Bulldog fan. LOL, blood is thicker than water. Was that That's being masculine did he tiger. Marry, did he marry a Canton McKinley Bulldog? Oh, there you, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how, Ted. Well, you have well, to explain yourself. When you become that. a husband, there's sacrifices that you have to make. That's right. Uh, West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating, servicing all of Central Ohio, 614-879-9606 with awesome Lennox high-efficiency products. Uh, West Jeff can do all your plumbing needs, new construction, you name it, they can do it, repair. They'll show up on time every time. West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating on the web at westjeffplumbingandheating.com. Any, any emails at all this week or not? Uh, we did have a, a couple of emails thanking us for answering previous emails, and we'll save the uh, other emails for okay. Wednesday okay. because today's my wife's birthday. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to wish her a very happy birthday, and I was in my prayer time this morning just thanking God for Sherry and uh, for the miracle of how I met her. Uh, we met online, which I wouldn't recommend. Farmers, to on, farmers only? No, not on farmers only. <laughs> Christianmatchmaker.com. But I, uh, we, she was, uh, you know, she was 30 when I met her. Yeah, I was 40. Much younger than you, yes. So it's not like we were teenagers dating online. So that's what I'm saying, kids. Okay. Don't date online <laughs> unless you're 40 and 30. And you know what <laughs> you want. okay, yeah. And you know what you want. But I was reflecting back on the very first time I saw her and how intrigued I was by what I saw and what I read about her online. And I invested all of my time in knowing everything I could about her because I wanted to further that Before you met her? 
No, no, no. I mean, like that's like stalker stuff. No, no, no. I mean, oh. like as we as we got to know each other. Okay. Phone okay. calls, okay. emails, yeah. then meeting together right. and yeah. all that. Every time I was with her, I wanted to know more about her. I wanted to invest in knowing more about her because I wanted to cultivate a lifelong relationship with her. And as her husband... Plus that's your nature, too, as, as a, a, a reporter. Somewhat I mean, inquisitive person, yeah. yeah. But as a husband, I have... And I was determined to not let that determination to know her uh, diminish as I got to know her. But you know what? It, it, at times it has, and I feel bad about that. And I have tried here in the last few years to really redouble my efforts to continue to get to know her. Because I remember vividly my father, uh, one time after he and my mom had been married 50 years, I said, hey, Dad, when did you get to the point with mom where she could no longer surprise you anymore? Like you knew her so well, you knew everything about her. And I still remember the look on my dad's face. And he looked at me and he goes, Bruce, there are still times where I look at her and I go, who are you? And that's the mystery, the miracle of, a, of, of love between a man and a woman. And so as I equate it to a relationship that, you know, we hopefully are all striving to build with Jesus Christ as our Savior, you have to invest that effort in a daily in a relationship with your wife, with your kids, with your Savior, you can't just, you wouldn't have married your wife, guys, if you spent an hour a week with her. And while you were with her at dinner, you were checking your phone for football scores or whatever. So if you're in church and the only effort you're investing in knowing more about God is the hour a week that you spend in church, guess what? Your relationship's not going to be what it could be. If you're checking your fantasy football lineup while you're sitting there and the pastor's talking or whatever, you got to put more effort into your relationship so that you have a relationship because you just have an acquaintance if you see, if you invest one hour a week in knowing God. That's how I equate the two because the two most important relationships in my life are uh, with Christ and with my wife. Okay, beautiful and happy birthday, Sherry. So what, what, I, what I've come across is we give this experiences that we have, mm -hmm. things that we try to do, mm -hmm. Uh, we strive to it. We do it sometimes. We fall short. But I think one of the blessings is the recognition of falling short and to get back on track as opposed to just saying, oh, well, I fell short there, so I'm giving up. No, to get right back on track. So what would be some of the suggestions that you would give not only our, our male listeners but even our fa female listeners about investing in their husbands? What what suggestions, what did you do? You, you said, I did everything to get to know her. Did you sit there and hit her with 20 questions? Did you... No, uh, actually... Uh, did actually you go the, Google her? And no, I listened. Was Google I, invented the, back the then? The number or? one thing that I did was I listened. You know, just listen. Mm -hmm. And uh, find out, you know, what she responds to in terms of, like, most guys want to fix. I found out early on that uh, offering my solutions to things that she would talk about at her work or, you know, her friendships and stuff that weren't to where she wanted them. She didn't want me to fix. She just wanted me to listen. And I think that's a common thing with, with uh, men and women. A lot of times, and, and now there will even be times where we have a conversation and I will say to her, do you want me to offer a solution or you just want me to listen? Okay. Um, that, that's a really good way to go about it because my, I do think you, you listen then I do say I have an opinion on that, mm -hmm. 
I said, we, and I say this with Carrie, my wife, now all the time, look, it's best way for me to make a decision is we gather all the information that we can, then you make a decision based off of the information or other opinions on how to approach it, then I'll make that decision. Now, it's easier for us to come to that point because of a blended family, mm -hmm. right? And so in a blended family, at least our rule is that if there's an issue with her kids, she takes the lead. I offer my solution or my opinion. If it's with my kids, I take the lead, but she'll offer her input, then the decisions are made. But I, I think you're exactly right, uh, Bruce, into like any relationship, the most valuable thing you can give somebody is your time. And there are many times, and I'm sure from the wise perspective, there's many times where this, ah, oh, I don't want to do this with him tonight. You know, I really don't. I mean, I, I just, I just tired. I want some, you know, whatever candles in a bath. I know that sounds somewhat sexist, but you know, well, like <laughs> Sherry just, likes to just go to her room and read. Yeah. Just, just quiet, quiet time. time. Yeah. Just, just alone time. Yeah. But you know, there might be a time where, um, she knows that you need her, even though at that time it's just human nature where I don't want to, you know, I don't want to mm -hmm. get involved with whatever issue he's fighting right now, but I know that he needs me. So one of the things that I find is the most, uh, important tool in our toolbox to use in relationships and it all stems from god and what god did it's sacrificial giving it's easy to give when it when it's not an inconvenience yeah, out of your abundance it's yeah easy it, it's that. easy to give out of your abundance so this can go to tithing to relationships or whatever what builds and strengthens bonds and in, in because we have the best example in the history of the world about sacrificial giving. So if we can look at God and say, okay, what's the sacrificial gift was Christ? And so we benefit from that. Mm -hmm. So that's just another example that we can use and put it into our own lives, whether it's, it's investment of sacrificial giving to your wife or to your children. And I'm going to say this and uh, I, I might, some people might not disagree, might disagree with this, but as the husband and the father, you are called to lead your household, to be the example, to be the sacrificial giver, to be the spiritual leader. And that's the responsibility that you have to own. Yep. Now you can say that's true or not true in my world and in my life. I take that responsibility very seriously and it doesn't mean I'm like, oh, king of the castle. No, it's the, that I have to set the example for everybody in my house to be the one that's the sacrificial giver. And and it's it. You know, I even go back. Um. That you know, you think of when you go through difficult times, or you feel like you're not, your needs aren't being met, or you're not being served. I think we need to step step back and look behind us and look at all the times our our we have been served and our needs have been met. But just the, I think that's the big takeaway for me today. And I want and everybody, men, women, be a sacrificial giver. And when you do that, you'll you'll realize how much you're actually 
being served when you are a sacrificial giver. Yeah, because it'll inspire others to do the same. Yeah, and but it's a but wonderful and, and, cycle. And yeah, yeah, it is, and it's and it it's uh, the the beautiful thing about it. It starts from God and who set the prime example, the only example of sacrificial giving. Absolutely. Uh, Wednesday, we'll pursue more the likelihood of whether Chase Young can win the Heisman Trophy, and uh, I'm sure the Browns will have news as they get ready to head to Denver. Uh, We appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. Please share it with your friends. Go to pleasereviewmypodcast.com backslash Spielman and Hooley to review it. Even if you've reviewed it before, those reviews really do help us. Everybody have a great day.